Hi, everybody. David Michael Phelps here, and welcome to the first episode of Working Man, the official podcast of Harmel Academy of the Trades. Harmel Academy is a residential Catholic trades academy that forms men in their Catholic faith while training them in a high-demand skilled trade. For more information, please visit us at harmelacademy.org. Our guest today on this inaugural episode is Brian Black, the co-founder and president of Harmel Academy of the Trades. Before co-founding our academy, Brian spent decades in the skilled trades, working as general manager of Grand River Builders in Grand Rapids, specializing in historic building restoration. He and his wife, Diane, homeschooled their seven children, but now all seven are raised and out of the house, they've turned to their next adventure, founding the first residential Catholic trade academy in the country. In this episode, we talk a little bit about the reasons Harmel Academy exists, what the church has to teach us about the deep meaning of human work, and the virtues a man must have to learn to work well. This episode was recorded literally hours before the state of Michigan went into quarantine for the coronavirus pandemic, and so the audio is a little wonky, but since we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, we're rolling with it. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Brian Black, uh, president of Harmel Academy of the Trades. Uh, for the last 20 years, I've been uh, running a small specialty construction company. And with another friend, we decided a few years ago that it was time that someone got serious about addressing the problems of working men, uh, not having a full understanding of what it is they do every day from a spiritual standpoint and how to integrate their they're calling uh, as Catholic men to their workplace. Was that something that you had experienced, you know, in yourself in your own story, as far as not having the insider support readily available to you in understanding that vocation? Yeah, in my own life, uh, it's always been a struggle to try to figure out, like I think most men, how work exactly fits into your spiritual, uh, you know, your spiritual life, and I don't mean that as far as uh, you know, a religious observance or your, your religion, but really uh, going to work every day and and working and being tired and being anxious about employment and trying to do something creative or trying to do something mundane. How how does that directly relate to my relationship with God and my relationship with Christ, who died for my sins, and that always seemed to be a, there's a always seemed to be a distance between the actual day-to-day work and that spiritual component and and even when i looked about to find you know find ways to resolve that they always seemed to be developed around religiosity or or um or, or piety, which bo- both of which are, are good things. I mean, that's a platitude, but but really, what what on a more a more deep level is there to draw on to help a man, a Catholic man, understand what work is? You know, basically, you know, philosoph- What is this work thing that we do all day every day? Yeah, so I I know what you mean. Like I. I well, we're both converts, right? But I, I, um, I know that it tends to get reduced, like, f- for example, in the evangelical community, to this this 
question of, you know, faith and work, and that amounts to, you know, how do you witness to your faith right. while you're at work? Right. As opposed, so there's still a separation there uh, conceptually between sort of what we do in 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 our day and how do we sort of yeah. sprinkle some Jesus yeah. on it or right. something. Right, or, yeah. or Yeah, yeah, make sure your, your, your co-workers see you pray before you eat lunch. Right, right. Uh, just, okay, as far as it goes. Yeah, yeah. but you're talking about something more fundamental about right. uh, more fundamental understanding about right. work. Yeah, the, the best way, the best analogy that I've uh, come up with, and maybe it's, it's not even an analogy, really, uh, is to compare it to marriage. When we're in the thick of it in your marriage, we have resources that we can draw on, spiritual resources, first because it's a sacrament, of course, but also because this problem uh, of, of how do you live spiritually in a marriage has been addressed thoroughly and profoundly by the church and by great spiritual writers and thinkers for generations. And so if you're having a, a trouble spot in your marriage or you're, you're trying to understand exactly what, that, what, the, what the context of the relationship with your, with your spouse is, um, you know, that always has a spiritual dimension that's more accessible to people than, uh, than the comparable question in the area of work. So we have in the, in the, in the area of, of marriage, we have, of course, the pietistic religious things, which are also present, which are helpful. Uh, but the spiritual side of it, how do I look at my spouse in the context of relationship with Christ? That sort of work spiritually has been, has been done and is, is more accessible to men, I should say, uh, than it is in the case of work. And so I think about it analogously with, with marriage. So if I look at the, the two things that God gave us in, the, in the, our original integrity in the garden, is he gave us marriage, he gave us the relationship with our, with our spouse, which, which is pure and, and good and is, and is given to us as a gift by God to direct us back towards him and the relationship with him. Well, he also gave us work. He asked us to care for uh, the garden to 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 work it, and th- those are the two things that we're asked to do. Uh, w- well, it seems like the, a, a natural way to help us better understand work is to look then on the many ways that, that the church has directed us and spiritual directors have directed us in marriage. Well, how can we apply that same that same effort to understanding work? So, what is this? What is the really deep spiritual understanding of work, of taking material things and transforming it with our hands into something new. Uh, what is that? What is that, really? I mean, that's the best way to say it. What is that? Yeah. And and I think when, when people think about that question, too, well, there's, it seems there's a, there's a couple parts of that. There's the the theoretical or the philosophical, mm-hmm. right? How, how do you begin to lay out an answer to that question? And whether and related to that is what sources can we draw on there? And there are plenty, of course. But the other is how do you, how do you make it sort of practical, yeah. right? Because it's in in a sense, uh, I mean, both of them are important. And in the philosophical theoretical side of things, um, if you don't have the practical to balance it, 
I think that tends to make the abstract a little more abstract mm -hmm. or a little more uh, or a little less concrete mm -hmm. and turns it more into sort of macro types of answers right. instead of micro types right. of answers that right. that uh, a normal uh, working fellow can can apply in his life right mm -hmm. it's it's one thing to be able to translate an understanding of what work is and um uh, in in sort of our notions of, of say society or yeah. whatever like that, but but the thing is about society is that even though we all live in society, in a sense, none of us live in society in the abstract. It's always in the concrete. Yeah? Right. Right. Where where would one begin, or where does Harmel begin to uh, answer the question of how do we how do we come to some sort of practical spirituality about work? Where do we begin to find those answers? Or where have you? Where, where did it start yeah, for you? Maybe yeah, I mean, not that's, even for yeah, that's probably the, the only way I can really answer it because I, I, I have only a, a, a rough sketch of what that landscape looks like. So as, as we you know jump into this adventure, I know where there are some <laughs> some storehouses and some waypoints, but that's about it. So what I've the 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 first places that I have been looking and have been eager to pursue more about are, are papal documents. The church has been helping us in this way for, well, forever, since the, uh, uh, since the resurrection. And along the way, it has become more or less apparent over time for the church that it is, it is an area that, that men need help in, that we all need help in. And the, the, the first point, modern point that, that pops up was uh, Rerum Navarum, uh, Leo the Thirteenth, and if I were on my game, I'd I could I could give you the the date, the year, but it's not coming to me right now. So late nineteenth century, um, and that was that document was precipitated by a, a, a more or less a crisis in in Europe, where the traditional medieval model of understanding of work and the social relationships that men had around work were. Uh, basically coming undone. Yeah. yeah, they're just being overrun by uh, a new economic model. And so that created some problems that the church recognizes as being... Um, serious serious yeah, enough serious to, enough that folks to, need to talk about. Yeah, yeah, to sit down and write a document about it. Yeah. So that's the first place that I looked. And, and you know, in reading Rerum Navarum, you think, you know, once you can get used to the language of it and the, the historical context, it's really an amazing source of understanding on a deep level about uh, what, may, what man's calling to work is. So I look, I look at papal documents uh, as one area. There's been some, some really good writing on this also since, of course, and the subsequent papal documents. Um, and I've just tapped into some books that have popped up here and there. So a lot of it's just been kind of an academic approach. But really, that's been coupled also with my own experience uh, as, a, as, a, as a workman in the, in the field, as a, as a tradesman, um, and, and trying to experience that. So in other words, taking, taking the words from a papal document and actually trying to, okay, okay, what is that? Fine. Okay, what does that do for me today? It's Thursday. Mm. I'm going to be, you know, framing in a porch on a house. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. And so some of that's, I've had the chance and the luxury of being able to, to mull that over a period of, of years. And that's been a really helpful thing uh, for me to help form wh where to look next. You know, what, what, 
how does it help me identify the, the, the deficiencies in this understanding and, and, and go on to other, other sources? So, and we, you know, and you and I have looked at some of the books around here too. There's, um, uh, there, there's, there have been good writings on this by independent spiritual authors who really want to help uh, pull this question apart more thoroughly and yeah. come up with some, you know, modern ways of, of understanding this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me too that even, even uh, one of the things that really came alive for me though in that is because. Yeah, again, there's there's been plenty of work done on this, I guess theologically, in a sense, right? And 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 in one sense, Harmel exists to sort of tease a lot of that out. But but um, like we mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, there's the theoretical and there's the practical, right? So you're framing in that house on a Thursday morning, and to say, okay, what does rerum novarum mean, right? Does what what does that practically mean? Well, one of the things that uh, I think it's important to highlight from the beginning of an insight like that is, is I think what we tend to do, um, and I don't know how long we've tended to do this, I think this is probably more of a, a modern phenomenon, but we tend to think of work as this uh, separate objective fact. And if, you know, if I'm essentially selling my labor solely and uh, exclusively as some sort of good, then I see it as this thing that's somehow removed from me. Whereas the, the church, I think, stresses from as, as basically tier one of an understanding about work is this notion that there is an objective sense to work. There is this thing that is outside of me that is being done that I can look at objectively, mm-hmm. but it is subjective, mm-hmm. right? Whatever work is, the, the only thing being worked, so to speak, is not just the raw material uh, or, or somehow the service that I'm providing, but the worker himself or the worker herself is being worked and being formed. So that subjective uh, nature of work is not just something that um, we need to sort of recognize as, as fundamental, but what it says is that whatever it is we have to say about work, uh, or wh- however we begin to address it and try to make it practical, it can't be anything but practical and concrete, right? Um, so anything that anything that would tend it toward uh, removing it from the concrete experience of of a human person working is probably belying it that much more. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Now you get into the yeah the nitty gritty of it. You can just to go back to the marriage analogy. You can talk about uh, the the spouses and you can talk about uh, the sacrament and the union. But the truth is, you're dealing with two people, two human beings. Yeah. And the so that. The, the only way you can talk in the theoretical is in the practical. You can talk about the nature, the nature of marriage, but you're talking about two people. You're talking about your marriage. Yeah, your marriage. Right. Yeah. And in this just, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. With, with work, we can talk theoretically about work, but really we're talking about a person working, a man working. And that's what uh, Rerum Navarum, I think, does so well, is bring that right to the fore. That is, that is the... Um, that is the core understanding that the church reveals to us is that the, that integration of the actual labor of man with that with that with that man with that person yeah. it is not an abstraction it is not something alien to him it is it is it is him being being him and uh it's 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 prof- it's transformative as soon as you stop seeing your own labor as alien to yourself 
you have the capacity then to love it in the way that God asks us to love ourselves. So if you're loving your work for the sake of yourself, uh, that transforms your entire life and it transforms how you look at work. Yeah, well, there's there's something in that that strikes me is is the 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 call to work. I mean, if work is something as essential to us as it is, right? Um, as essential as, as marriage, just like you were saying, right? Uh, to our to our natural human existence, then there's something about it that is uh, probably very resistant to. Um, romanticizing it, right, or treating it as some sort of special adventure or something like that. Now, there, there, is, there, there is a certain type of a dignity or majesty or, um, well, let's use dignity, right, to that that I think needs to be teased out and better understood. Yeah. But uh, the danger is romanticizing it, right, exactly. right? Yep. And, uh, and saying, oh, so in, in, unless you have this sort of romantic vision of what it is or this romantic uh, call right. to your work. right. Uh, then somehow it's not yeah, and I, legit. I think, yeah, and I think many of us have learned that same lesson with with marriage too. That that when you when you dial up the the, the romantic understanding of marriage, you create all sorts of problems for yourself. Yeah, you enter into it with the wrong attitude. Uh, you find yourself in a situation you just simply can't fulfill. It's untenable. Yeah, and you're unhappy, but you don't know why because. You're trying to live a romance that doesn't exist, and that's yeah, that's a that's a really good analogy there. I think with with marriage, and I think I think the best the best marriage prep uh, people know that and and try to dial that down with their yeah. uh, with their engaged couples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So so the sort of parallel, you know, occurs to me in listening to you talk is that in the same way that you you know there's there's no road to Damascus one day you know. God a- appeared, you know, in, in a shimmering light and told you, go do this, mm-hmm. right? In the same way, almost all men, when they consider their vocation to their work, it will probably play out in the same sort of quotidian, sort of yeah. maybe even boring way. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which uh, uh, finding, if it, if it is so essential to us, it may present itself as um, remarkably unremarkable, or maybe even boring, yeah. but that doesn't mean that there's not some sort of divine call within that that most ordinary yeah. thing. Yeah. And even when we look at, you know, is is we have been doing a lot of sort of, or at least I know I've been doing a lot more, um, just looking to the model of Saint Joseph. I mean, we can we can point to these these um, this amazing experience of uh, of Saint Joseph. But if you think about even his own call, right? He he didn't get. You know, Mary, Mary, Mary gets sort of like the first degree call from the angel, right? But for him, it's got to happen in a dream for him, right? Like, it's not like he's walking down the road and then there's the angel Gabriel. It, it, it happens in the dream. So even in that sense, there's sort of a dulled edge to the romance of his call. And he's just got to decide whether or not he's going to get up and go to work. And in his case, it's, am I going to get up and, you know, go to Egypt? Or am I going to get up and, you know, just go about my day carrying on with my betrothal to this woman? I mean, there's, in a sense... Even for St. Joseph, there's this pretty um, quiet, uh, notoriously quiet uh, living out of his, his vocation. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's something that's important to recognize, too. But that isn't to say that there isn't important work to be done, but the work to be done is, 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 is a quiet sort of work. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me a little bit more about what you see 
and what you've observed about why it is that men in particular uh, stumble their way through something like this. I mean, what have you seen in the guys that are trying to transition into their working manhood, so to speak, that that, uh, seems to be a refrain uh, problem that you've noticed? I think the... I think anxiety is the key, is is the main condition that most young men enter when they're entering the work world. I think anxiety is is the state that best best describes um, that experience. Not so much fear, but anxiety, and it has more to do with the expectations of, of society to them and that they're sort of stuck among multiple forces that are pulling them different directions, none of which are uh, really resonate and, and no one of which has any greater validity to them than another. And so they, they end up being stuck in this flux of wanting to please what they've imagined themselves to be as an adult. They want to please what they imagine their parents are thinking of them doing um, or what their girlfriend thinks that they should be doing or money, you know, that this decision to do this particular job isn't the best because it doesn't reward me at the highest level financially. So there's like this constellation of, of multiple pressure points or, or, or factors that are, that are pushing on the young man that he has to navigate and no matter which way he turns, he's disappointing a certain percentage of those and satisfying a different percentage. And I, I think what young men aren't able to do because they're not shown how to do it or, or, or been described how to do it, you know, with obvious exceptions, um, is the spiritual work of understanding who they are vocationally. And that requires a certain maturity, but it also requires... Um, a fair amount of direction from the people in their lives to help them discern that, which I think is where Harmel Academy steps in as, as much as it can um, to help these young men uh, discern who they are as a person first and being honest about that, what they respond well to and how to give their lives and give their work to that Identity, and I know that's a really high, <laughs> high altitude answer. Sure. But what I mean by that is really, you know, commonly we call it vocation. You know, we, what is your vocation? Um, it's that kind of uh, world that that the young man has to explore before he can really understand whether he wants to be in the trades or whether he wants to go to law school, or whether he wants to be a pharmacy tech or whatever thing he is called to. Yeah. Um, And even that calling or even that understanding is going to be uh, circumstantial and is going to change over time. And But having the spiritual tools and the maturity to understand that that's what that looks like, that, oh, okay, I can go uh, become a tradesman now. That doesn't mean they're going to be, you know, this, I can't, I don't have to imagine myself doing that for the rest of my life in a certain context or that you're, you're admitting to or uh, assenting to this life of drudgery. You know, if I decide to be a lawyer, I'll just be a lawyer the rest of my life and I'll end up hating it. Well, that's, you know, that's, so to have the, 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 the mental tools and the spiritual tools in place as they enter the workforce to know 
How do you discern what job to take? How do you discern what path to take? And then how do you have the conversation in your own mind, in your own brain, uh, among all of those, those things that are pulling you different directions? How do you have that conversation to your own satisfaction that you're doing the right thing, you're taking the, the right next step, because that's really all you can do is just take the next step, uh, and then work towards who you think God is calling you to be. Uh, so it's a, it's the it's the full range of of the very of the very practical thing that I, I would I would see young men not able to do. I, I I'm okay. I've decided to do this. I'm going to do it with all my heart. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, the very practical all the way to the theoretical, having conversations with young men who who really don't even know how to define what it is that they're called to do, or uh, having the tools to be able to discern what that what a vocation looks like. Yeah. So those were the experiences that, that, that I was seeing in young men uh, where, where they, were, they were just basically, uh, I think, ill-equipped on, on most fronts to deal with all of the pressure that, that, is, that is in their lives at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and for, for, for a lot of people these days, or for a whole generation, the, the answer there might be, well, you know, head, head off to college or whatever. And in that time at college, you can mature, you can be in a certain type of community of people also right. struggling with the same questions. You can hopefully find some sort of guidance through your, you know, your major, your degree or whatever it is. And, you know, after four years or ho- however long it is, there you go. You've got, you know, maybe some sense of direction or, or grounding. Uh, but obviously with, you know, the the way that uh, college tuition prices have have gone and uh, and and frankly even if it weren't the case there's a there's a there's a whole segment of young men for whom that just is not the uh, that that just not as it's not a prudent path right. to go off and either take those loans or spend those times in in studying those areas um, so what strikes me is as as particularly necessary is being able to not only provide that understanding of what work is and, and what true vocational discernment looks like in in your own concrete story, to in our case to young men, but but especially to do that for a whole segment of young men, for whom they know that whatever that is, however God has designed them, the sort of work that they are uh, have been designed to do or probably being called to do is something that doesn't get on-ramped through academic study in a four-year degree, right? Um, and, and, and really, I think that, that that's where there's sort of a, a, a doubling of the need. It's not just the vocation, but, but it's, it's what, does, what does the embodied life of work look like? Hey guys, just a quick interruption to tell you that Working Man is sponsored by Harmel Academy of the Trades. Did you know that the National Academies expects 3.5 million skilled trades jobs will go unfilled by 2022? That is an enormous challenge for our economy, but an enormous opportunity for young men starting out in life. At Harmel Academy, we believe the problem is greater than whether or not there's a shortage of skilled tradesmen. There's an even more important shortage, a shortage of understanding about the role work plays in our vocation as sons of God. Harmel Academy of the Trades exists to form the whole man 
providing him not only with the skills necessary to meet the widespread need for tradesmen, but also the intellectual, spiritual, and moral strength that allows him to work with excellence. We do this in the context of a full two-year residential college experience that includes character formation, life skills training, and a social camaraderie that builds a culture of dedicated, faithful workers and family men. Applications are now being accepted for fall 2020. So if you are a young man looking to be trained in a skilled trade while being formed in your Catholic faith, please check us out at harmelacademy.org. Now, back to the interview. So, well, let me ask you this question. Why do you suppose, I mean, you've gotten quite a response uh, with this idea. And I know when I first heard about it, it's like, an oh, yeah, fantastic. Great idea. It's one of those ideas that when you hear it, you're just like, yep, absolutely. What have been the sorts of responses you've gotten? I mean, people have responded well. Yeah. When we would kick this idea around, it would consistently from from business owners to, to priests to uh, young men to their families, consistently there there would be this look of of oh yeah oh wow that's a great idea of course that yes that would solve that problem that we've all identified exists. Yeah. Um, it it is the putting together of elements in our in our world that hadn't been put together before. So trades education, residential Catholic college experience, um, men only, very specifically formulated towards uh, employment in actual work right now. And I think that's been a lot of the response is, is, that, it's, is that it's a new way of combining those things. Rather than trying to manipulate existing things, oh, we, if we just had a better this or a better that, uh, it's an entirely new approach, and I think that's what people really, uh, it's really exciting to watch people respond to that, encountering something in a, you know, a whole new idea. What is, if we're going to be bold enough to actually try something as crazy as this, may as well do it all the way, and, and to gather in all the elements to make it as, as productive and as efficient and as successful as possible. And I think that's what people respond strongly to. And it takes a while. It's, it's also kind of fun to watch uh, how long it may take for, the, for this crazy new idea to, to yeah, sink in. Yeah. And then once it does, oh, you know, the eyes widen and oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, it's resi- oh, residential. You mean they're going to be living together in the dorm? Oh, oh, right. that kind of conversation. Yeah. So it's, it's been consistently strong. I've, the, the, those who have, who have uh, either opposed or, or discouraged us um, generally, have had you know uh, a dog in the race in some other way that that mm. that they didn't you know yeah. want to see it succeed, and sure. those have been very very few. So as you as you think about the community of uh, of 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 young men that's forming, what are some of the attributes that you would be looking for in in men who are going to take that journey? Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question. I think the first one that comes to mind is humility. That there's a certain openness, and again, this is I'm not looking, I'm not imagining perfect humility, but just a, a certain amount of openness, or even even an openness to being open, mm. uh, in in all ways, in learning and in being instructed, 
uh, in encountering a new situation, uh, would I think that would be uh, the first thing I would look for is is that a willingness to not know and a willingness to ask and a willingness to be formed, I guess, mm. which takes trust. Yeah. Um, and that, of course, is our duty from our from the standpoint of the, of the school is to, is to is to give them is to be trustworthy is to be trustworthy, right? Yeah. To earn their trust. But I think humility is the is the first thing that I would I would look for. Uh, that that I think is an attribute is a virtue that is <laughs> um, is critical to and I don't want to link it directly to success, but I, I you know is critical to success in the spiritual world too, obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to to move forward spiritually or or uh, even in your work uh, or in your marriage or in any part of your life, that, that humility and that openness to being wrong uh, and that willingness to be, well, that desire to, to learn more is... Yeah, docility. Yeah, docility is a good word, yeah. 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 Um, that would be the, probably the, the key thing, is, is that openness. And that can be, you know, and, and again, as I said, it's, it's even an openness to being open. We're, none of us do this well. Right. And so, but just a young man know, okay, I need to be... I need to be uh, humble or, or docile in this situation, and I don't like it. <laughs> but, yeah. but willing that and saying, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut up and listen. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, get my uh, guts up to go ask that question, yeah. uh, or I'm gonna let him finish talking, and maybe he'll get to the point eventually. And just by being quiet, I'll learn something rather than yeah. talking over somebody. Yeah. Just that that attitude is just so important. Uh, to learn and to be successful and to just be somebody that someone wants to be around, yeah. frankly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I tell my, uh, I'm sure he wasn't probably the first to say it, but the first time I heard it was hearing this old Gordie Howe quote where he just said. Is this a hockey reference? It is, way? yeah. Gordie Howe was Gordie a Howe hockey was player. Hockey player? Okay. Yep, he was a hockey player. And uh, his uh, his little mantra was, you know, God gave us, you know, two ears and one mouth mm-hmm. and the goal is to keep the two open and the one shut yeah you know and uh not because you shouldn't be afraid sure. to say something right but you should be twice as willing to listen as you're you are to speak right yeah. and again let, let, just to clarify that too i want to i want to make sure i'm not overstating this i'm not looking or what i'm i shouldn't say what i'm looking for the important thing here is not to be mamby pamby not to be uh cloyingly passive or, or weak-minded, obviously. It's, it's about, you know, humility is a very manly attribute. And, it, but when it's properly understood. So it's not, it's not stepping into a situation being um, overly passive or uh, easily manipulated. But humility is, is, is much more of an active thing and is a much more masculine thing than we often think of it. And so the best that I've seen in, in, in young men who've, who've worked for me or I've been in, in, uh, involved with in helping, helping form, uh, that, that, that humility and docility is actually quite, quite active yeah. and um, in some ways quite assertive. And it comes out. You don't have to elicit it. So, so it's an active humility. And, yeah. and I just want to make sure that I'm not painting a picture of Passivity, right. Right, yeah. passivity or, or 
Yeah, or weakness maybe. Yeah, well, I, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, I think we hear humble and and we we think necessarily humility is 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 passive, but there's a, there's a sense in which humility is, um, it's it's attentiveness, right? Yeah. There's an active attentiveness that is required for you to be. Um, creative and for you to discern the truth of a situation or to to basically everything else that you need to be able to do in order to work well or frankly just to act well in any situation has to begin with some level of attentiveness which is a type of humility which is a type of laying yourself aside but it's not a passivity it's an openness to the reality in front of you so that you can appropriately react yep and we see it we see it in the gospels See it in the behavior of the apostles, and of course the behavior of our Lord. It's it's a very masculine humility. And, and what is humility? I mean, humility is basically being willing to to confront yourself and say, whatever this task in front of me is, uh, I am not the, the master of the entire thing, and I am I'm not the one that knows everything about it and I'm perfect for it. You don't go in with that attitude. Mm-hmm. You go on understanding. Well, God has given me certain right. uh, attributes or right. gifts to meet this challenge, to meet this act, to meet this opportunity. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm not just going to assume right. I can plow my way through it. Yep. And if I can't figure out why this machine isn't running right, it has no bearing on me as a person, and it's a challenge to me as a person. But I'm still going to be created in God's image. And I'm going to be loved profoundly by our Lord, whether or not I can figure out why this machine isn't working well. Um, and that's the that's the the grounding that you have to have um, to really well order your work life. And yeah, and, and and that's important to say too, because the temptation is okay. Well, oh, I'm I'm junk. I'm terrible. I'm whatever. I walk away from that problem, as opposed to well, no, you have to continue. To be attentive, you have to continue to ask new questions, try new perspectives, right? At some point, you know, if you are diligent enough in that humility and attentiveness, right, then something will something will result, some insight, some analysis, some diagnosis on the machine, or not even be a machine and say any problem in life. Yeah. But you have to be you have to have a constancy to stick with it, yeah. right? Yeah. And the, and that, that attentiveness I think is is a is a great word. And I think it even might even it might even that experience might even show you something about yourself mm-hmm. if you're open to it yeah. and listening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's definitely that's definitely a challenge I think in these days because just the way we have ordered our lives, the way we uh, engage, uh, you know, ingest our information, interact with people, are built around devices that are not uh, built to develop habits of attentiveness. Um, if I can't get the answer within three seconds. I'm going to try something else, right? right? I'm not going to be patient with this app or this computer or this whatever it is. Uh, So it's especially hard, I think, to gain that foundational virtue. But that being said, we're, you know, probably not going to... That's not something we're going to fix. No. (laughs) It's it's something we're going to respond to well. Yeah. And uh, But I I think, yeah, that gets off into a whole conversation about technology and, and... yeah, yeah, that, that's an, that's another thing. But the, but the, but the, but the point is, is you have to understand that attentiveness and humility and docility is mm-hmm. is key. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you if you have that, no matter what the enterprise, be it mm-hmm. you know your student Harmel Academy or you're just trying to make progress in the spiritual life, right. if you don't have that, you're right. you're sunk. Um, I think for the parents uh, of a student or the student, the understanding about what 
what they're required to have in place before they come is a really good question. And I think that um, there, there seem, there's, there's two things that are, that I, that I consistently hear from, from families and, 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 and students. Okay. One is that, uh, one is a sense of, well, nothing else has really worked out for my son, so we'll try this. Sure, okay. sure, right. Which, oh, which can be a way that you're led to something, absolutely. Um, but I, I don't think that's, that's fair to anybody involved in the sense, in the fullest sense. But the attitude can't be, yeah, 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 let's get through this so my son has a job. That's... I, I get little whiffs of that sometimes in conversations with parents, and I and yeah. I, um, I think that that is a that is one of the many things that we're trying to do here, and that's a that is a great and noble thing, but that also might also display part of the problem, right. which is that we're thinking about get my son a job, or or if you're the student, I need a job. What am I going to do right. for a job? Right. So I would I would I would hope that even coming in day one that students have begun to think and families have begun to think a little bit more about uh, beyond that. Yeah. Like we, we aren't going to have a, a fulfilled life as a, as a Catholic man if, if that's all the farther we get. Yeah. And yeah. That, is, that is an attitude that, that, that isn't going to make you happy, that yeah. is going to be an impediment to you throughout your life. Yeah. Well, the reality is, is that there's, there's, you can fall off the horse in either direction, right? And there's a sense in which people have come to see even liberal arts education today. We'll just take that as an yeah. example. Uh, in, in highly utilitarian terms, mm-hmm. right? So if, 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 if you're going to send your child or, or if you are deciding to go to... That's another thing here, too, is, is you know, send your child. I mean, we're, we're talking about men, and I think that needs to be reintroduced here, right? Yes, it is. This is my son. Yes, I want to help him. Yes, I want to guide him. I don't want to have a say in that. But at some point, you know, when that young man leaves home and he goes off to school or a program like Harmel, he's now a man, and now we have to we have to build him as a man, right? So, uh, so that being said, right, there's there's this tendency I think when people they they, they view college, and I and I've seen it with with my students for years, is they view college increasingly in utilitarian terms, and it's being pitched to them in utilitarian terms, right? You need to go do this so that you have this thing that makes you em- employable is often the word, right? And then so what ends up happening is, is you create a whole, an, an enormous host of problems, right? First of all, that is the opposite of docility, right? Because it, it's, it's immediately seen as, oh, I go, I jump through these hoops, I tick these boxes, you give me this thing in exchange, that thing in exchange is now the currency I have to go out there and get something I can expect. It's owed to me. Right, and now it's owed to me, right? We've made this economic exchange and there it is. Now, there is a sense in which just the normal course of justice, right, there are obviously things like tuition and there's things like expectations and these sorts of things, right, that govern the institutions that provide a say an educational service but but the but the reality is is that that the more that higher education is put into a utilitarian strictly utilitarian slot or even a heavily utilitarian slot in people's minds you are actually undercutting the very thing that they're that they're going to do there which is a development of themselves so um, so we can fall off 
in that direction. And, and, and I think you rightly note that that type of um, uh, attitude easily, you know, oh, well, okay, I'll go to a trade school because that's what it's about, right? But now there's another direction, right, where you can say, well, uh, well, listen, we, we uh, the, the, say the liberal arts education, well, it's all, you know, it's all about the, the, the freeing of, of the human mind and the human capacity. Well, yes, that's right. But if it remains in the abstract, and if you don't give them a community or support or practical vocational discernment or these sorts of things, such, such that people can take that formation and apply it in a concrete way to, their, to a specific job, for example, or their specific life, well, then, then, then you create a new kind of problem. And so I think what's, what's going to be um, very interesting about this approach, and one of the things that I find very interesting about Armel's approach is it's it's a trade school, yes, but it's also heavily influenced by a humanities point of view. We might, you know, not liberal arts education, technically speaking, but it's very heavily infused with that because both of those things need to be present. There needs to be this this concrete um, experience that we are we are training people in a concrete, uh, say, vocation or job or place, but it also infuses them with that um that understanding that um, the humanities give in, um, in, in, in situating their concrete within their, you know, well, their eternal destiny, frankly, right? So, um, but yeah, that's right. I mean, this, this sort of like uh, seeing Harmel as the solution to a problem of our own making. Right, exactly. And it, yeah, is, it's, it's is problematic. Yeah, and you're right? propagating the problem. You right. don't even know it. Right. You, you think you're doing an end run around it, uh, and you're not. You're actually adding to it. Right. And that, that is, um, uh, the, and I wanted to jump off on that too, that to, to talk about the second thing that I, I see that, that um, I hope we can mitigate in some way, which is uh, the families and the students' uh, anxiety about not being well prepared or, or not having um, the prerequisites or the experience needed to to succeed in this and it's really hard to test for humility it's really hard to have that sure. you know, to have that on your resume yeah how good are you in humility i'm awesome right? rate yourself yeah. one to ten yeah i'm the best um and i that's something else that i that i would want families and and, and uh, to, to to understand is that that's not as as important as the attitude i you know i'll, I'll trade yeah. a full grade point yeah. For for a little more uh, of, of of for the attitude that I think is is important yeah. to be successful here. Yeah. So it, it's it, um, it's both. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. I mean, you, there are certain things that you can. You there are certain things that are easier to learn than others. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Learning some basic mechanical skills mm-hmm. uh, a little easier to teach than teaching someone humility. Yes. Right. I mean, that, although we plan on doing this, both of those. Yeah, yeah. we'll do yeah. both. Right. But but right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the, yeah. the the human is sometimes a little harder to correct right. Right. than the machine. Yeah. I was talking to uh, a college student who is uh, who is sent home, and with the with the coronavirus and the shutdown, and she was saying that the thing she misses most uh, is the opportunity for her to grow up. Among her peers, in the con- outside of the context of her family, hmm. and that's that's the other element that I, I want to to explore a little bit more too is how important 
this will be as a residential experience for, uh, for young men to go through this together in a community living together. Yeah. And it is one of the geniuses of our college structure that we have in America uh, of, you know, you leave your home, you go live on college. Uh, the power of that social experience, for good or for ill, is, is, is quite powerful. And when it's well-directed, yeah. it's highly formative. And over time, young people, you know, in, in my own experience, they'll, they'll comment that, wow, you know, that was, that was probably one of the most important things about my college experience yeah. uh, was that, that formative social side of living together and growing up, yeah. being challenged by my peers. And young men want that. Mm -hmm. They want that challenge. They want to step out and help build things. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. If you'd like to learn more about Harmel Academy of the Trades, check us out at harmelacademy.org, where you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe and tell us what you think by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help us out. Thanks much.